0: This message by Terry Virgo was recorded at the New Frontiers together on a mission conference 2010 in Brighton. I'm going to read the short section again just to remind ourselves of the context. Ephesians 6, reading from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And having Done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Hallelujah. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should let's pray Father we are so deeply grateful for your grace toward us we thank you for the sheer joy in our hearts when we sing these wonderful truths we do celebrate the blood of Jesus we thank you heavenly father for sending your son we thank you Lord Jesus that you took on human form we thank you for your obedience in taking that cup walking to the cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus, with all our hearts for your tenderness, your mercy. We thank you for awakening us out of our death and ignorance and blindness. Thank you for calling us. Now thank you, Lord, for letting us hear your drumbeat, getting caught up in the biggest thing happening in world history. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, that wherever we were, wherever our lives were being distracted, we heard the faint sound of that drum that awakened us, drew us, called us, made us part of your family. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We happily abandon everything else we put our trust in, happily discard it, to take to ourselves the free gift of righteousness, to hold our heads high because you have dealt with our guilt and shame. Lord, to know our sonship, to delight in the wonder of it, to feel ourselves called into great purpose. And Father, we thank you for friends to the right and left of us, their hands raised alongside ours in songs of praise and joy and delight. We thank you for comradeship that stretches across the nations. We thank you, God, for all the privileges that you have showered upon us, that we have been made so rich in your great mercy. And Father, we ask you right now, in Jesus' name, according to your promise, that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so we collectively ask right now, come Holy Spirit, speak into our hearts. Pray that each of us shall know, I can feel my heavenly Father is speaking to me. I recognize his tone. I recognize his call. I feel its electric power. Lord, have your way in our hearts for your great glory. We pray we may be changed by the washing of the water of the word. Please let there be lasting fruit to your glory and praise from this hour, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I felt very clearly that God led me to look at this uh, passage in Ephesians 6 and also to break it down in the way that we've looked. That first of all, we saw the call to be strong, to be strengthened with his power, his glorious might. And then secondly, to make sure that we're not just aggressively going in the power of God, but we're covered, we've got protection, we've got the defense, the armor of God. That which exclusively works for believers Specially prepared for us who know the Lord Jesus, putting on each piece with care. We could say, put on each part with prayer. And uh, this, sec- this third session, we're looking at this closing phrase. Finally, praying. It's a present continuous praying, praying. And so Paul can't leave the subject of warfare without mentioning this mighty weapon. It's not part of the armour, it's not uh, like one of those aspects. No, no, in fact, Paul takes more time uh, referring to prayer, more time looking at this than at any one of the pieces of armour, praying, he says, at all times. With the Old Testament behind us, we can't forget the power of prayer in warfare. We have the outstanding example, don't we, of Moses with Joshua. Joshua, one of the first times we ever hear of him in the Bible, is enlisted by Moses to go and fight against Amalek. And Moses, we're told, went up into the mountain. And there he raised before God not only his hands, but the rod of God. That which represented God's covenant relationship with him. God's promise, God's commitment to the people. And Moses stood there, and as he stood, his arms began to weary, but he's holding up his hands to God. And down in the valley, we're told that Joshua began to fight. He's known as a soldier. He's a famous Bible soldier, and I guess he had his sword out and he's going forward and thrashing and hitting and thinking wow this is a great battle and as he's doing this uh, in the mountain Moses is beginning to grow weary and his arms are beginning to come down and Joshua's doing the same thing and what's going on? Hey I'm doing the same thing why am I going backwards? What's happening here? What's happening? And then up in the mountain they say oh we'll help you get your hands up Moses and so Aaron and her get his hands up so up go his hands and there goes Joshua hey that's better now we're moving now we're moving And the direct relationship is quite plain. The direct relationship when Moses' hands are raised in intercession and prayer, Joshua wins the battle. At the end of this, he goes to Joshua, and now take seriously what you've learned today. Take seriously that the battle is won in prayer. It's hard for me to talk about that story without thinking of my old pastor. He was a wonderful man of prayer. The first pastor I ever knew I joined the Baptist Church locally here, actually. He was a man of prayer. And he used to have an attitude to the Sabbath, as he would have called it, which started the night before. So for him, Saturday night was the beginning of what he would have called the Sabbath into the Sunday. So the church gathered on Saturday nights to pray. And this before television began to uh, take over evenings for people. And actually, just before I was saved, it was at its height, when it was impossible to get a seat, at the Saturday night prayer meeting, if you were a bit late, because the room was full of praying people, and on the Saturday night he'd say, "We're getting ready for Sunday. We're praying together." And this was one of his most favourite stories, and he always spoke of it. And whenever they had baptisms and made an appeal, every time he made an appeal, he would raise his hands at the front of the meeting. And as he did that, all those who had been at the prayer meeting the night before would remember, "He's got his hands. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray." And people would start pouring forward. And that in a time where people were walking away from church. Before the charismatic, before things began to come alive. In a season when people were walking away from church, this dear man of God who believed in prayer, said, let's pray, we're going to pray into Sunday. He taught me something ever so fundamental. I was a young Christian who knew nothing, but he taught me about prayer. Hey, pastors here, you teaching people about prayer? I was a backslidden kid at the beginning, but I never forgot that emphasis he had. When I came through to God, I wanted to get into that. That great, wonderful triumph. Moses raised his hand, Joshua won the battle. I, was, I learned that very, very early. It was very formative for me. Samuel had a similar relationship with the people. When he prayed, it's like one man stood before God for a nation. As Moses had, so Samuel did. And when Samuel began to fade, he said, I won't sin and ceasing to pray for you. He had that relationship. Elijah, when he was taken up into heaven, Elijah says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. What is he saying? He's saying, well, actually, Elijah, your praying was like us having an army. It's not a reference to the chariots that were there because it comes later at the end of Elisha's life when Elisha dies they say oh my father, my father the chariots of Israel you have become the defense of Israel your relationship with God Your praying and so you can't just uh, leave the Old Testament without seeing that again and again there were those who got through to God on behalf of the nation people like Daniel people like Nehemiah People that laid hold of God. It's a huge part of our being soldiers. Into the New Testament we see that Jesus modeled prayer, taught it, if you like, insisted on it. Men ought always to pray and not give up. So why should I pray? Jesus said men shall always pray and not give up. So we need really the insistence of Jesus underlining that reality. And so when the early church bursts into life, bursts upon the scene, we shouldn't be surprised that one of the pillars they built that church on, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to prayer. Prayer was a key to their life together. They'd watched Jesus, they continued that emphasis. We find that prayer was right there in the center of their life together. They lived that out, They demonstrated it. They clearly believed in it. A praying force for God. So it's present continuous praying. Lots of the uh, translations uh, just start with a new sentence. Pray. But actually it's like an umbrella word over everything that's gone before. Stand, stand, stand. Praying in the spirit. Continually praying. Continually calling upon God that he will have his hand upon us. The ESV translates it that way. Praying. That's what it actually says. And so let's look at this. I want to look at it in three different ways. First of all, constant and diverse prayer. Secondly, empowered prayer. Thirdly, focused prayer. So we're going to start by looking at constant and diverse prayer. NIV, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayer. On all occasions with all kinds of prayer, It's like that prayer is not just painted in one color. There's a whole rainbow of ways in which we should pray, how our access goes to God. Praying in all kinds of prayer, in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of occasions. First of all, I guess the most famous and obvious is our regular, sustained, talking to our Father. As Jesus said, when you pray, shut the door and speak to your Father which is in secret. That's Jesus' invitation to us, the incredible privilege of sonship that we can talk to our Heavenly Father. We can relate to him in that personal way. You remember the word that came to Ananias when he was told to go to Saul, that Pharisee who had been persecuting the church, and Ananias is very scared to go, and uh, the word comes to him, no, 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 don't be afraid, behold he prays. Of course, most modern Bibles don't know what to do with the word behold. We don't often use behold, do we? Oh, behold, Argentina have scored. You know, we don't use <laughs> behold. And they don't like look. But I think it ought to be check it out. I and mean, that's a, a modern translation of behold. Check it out, he prays. And Samuel Chadwick, that great old warrior, he says this regarding that occasion behold, he's praying. Prayer, he says, the privilege of sons, the proof of sonship. Don't be scared, Ananias. He's praying. The privilege of sons, the proof of sonship. Murray McShane says, What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, nothing more. When I first heard McShane's name used, I was at the Keswick Bible Week. Everybody seemed to quote Robert Murray McShane. I was in my early 20s. I had this image of a, like a white-haired old Scottish divine, Finlay Curry. I thought, oh, just imagine this man, Robert Murray McShane. Sounds wonderful. Everyone's quoting him. Later, I learned he died when he was 29. But before he died, it had such impact. Not only in Dundee, but wide impact. Extraordinary man of God while he was so young, had such influence. And that's his quote. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is. Nothing more. We need to develop our prayer life. We need to work at it. We need to make plans. D.A. Carson says, much prayer is not done because we don't plan to pray. We need to carve out time. We need to be diligent about it. You can't say, well, I just couldn't do it that time. We really, if we see that it's the sort of priority it was in Jesus' life, we just have to work at it, dear friends. We have to, I'm so grateful when I went to Bible college, I'd already been doing evangelism for two years. I knew how hard it was. I knew how tough it was to serve God. And so I'd already had some experience at the rock face. Then I went away to be trained and I was, I was quite surprised how guys who'd gone to be trained would talk late into the night, midnight and, and then in the morning, oh oh, it's the time to start. I thought, no, no, you've got to make some plans. You've got to make some decisions. If I'm going to be up and praying, that means I can't talk into the night. I've got, I've got to make some choices. You've got to plan to pray. It's a big part of your life. Not just, when well, I see if I feel like it. You have to make plan to pray. Which means you're going to affect your times. Over the years, gradually stealing another half an hour. Stealing another half an hour. Of course, you've got to find what time fits you best. Some people are come alive at night. Some people do the opposite. Some of us are at our best in the morning when we wake J.O. Fraser, is a great hero of mine, not just an academic, but a great missionary pioneer who went to Lisu land and saw thousands saved. Has a personal testimony of praying and praying and praying. He said, I see prayer like a businessman sees a line that really sells, I will give my best energies to it. And so he made this strong case, give your best to it. Don't just stick it on when you can. I was too tired. I was late last night. You have to think about it the night before. Watch and pray. Bear in mind, I'm sorry, I can't get sucked into because I really want to pray. So regular times of prayer, regular for ourselves, developing good habits, making good choices. It's part of being a servant of God. We can't drift. We have to make decisions and stick by decisions. Another kind of prayer is what we might call a Nehemiah prayer. Very famously, you remember Nehemiah felt God's call and uh, he begins to say, can I go uh, to Jerusalem? The walls are down, the gates are burned, I want to go. Uh, and uh, his boss begins to ask him and he's, you get that famous saying, I, I said to the Lord and I said to him. So it says in uh, NIV, I, I, all kinds of prayer in all kinds of ways. Well, here's another kind of prayer. It's just kind of, Lord, help me now. To be in touch with God, to be aware of God. In the, mid, in the middle of situations, you're, you're suddenly in the supermarket queue. This woman seems to be friendly and open. And What should I say next? Lord, God? Just talk, calling, calling on him. Being in touch with him. A Nehemiah kind of arrow prayer. God, now help. What do I say? All kinds of prayer. Extended, specific times. We're told about Jesus, that he prayed all night before he selected his 12. Jesus prayed right through. There were moments when he gave himself to more extended prayer. It says at one time, he rose up a great while before day. Special seasons, times of focus. We know that Jesus fasted for 40 days. There might be times when you feel, I want to give myself to a fast. I want to seek God for this. I want to go after God. And encourage you, even... Some of us who are younger say, well, I've got, I want to go for this. I want to give myself to some prayer and fasting. I've cut everything out so I can go for it. I remember when I was at Bible college and my very first approach to Wendy, when it was barely an approach. I mean, barely an approach. <laughs> and she wrote me a little note and said, uh, just in case you were thinking I might be interested romantically, I'm not. And I, to be honest, I wasn't sure that I was at the time. But when I got this letter, and she said, no, I just want, I'm at college, I want the will of God for my life. That's what I want. Well, if I was only mildly interested before, I was caught now. It's very cunning. (laughs) I was hooked. I was like, got him. I was hooked. I I remember, I remember, to be honest, I had a few things. I had a list. I thought, well, I'm going to have three days of prayer and fasting. I sought God. And Wendy was top of the list. Lord, is she for me? Is she, if she is for me, I want her, please. <laughs> I was praying. I gave myself to this. Three days of prayer and fasting. And that had a very happy day on the last day when she came to me. woo hallelujah. <laughs> okay, young guys and girls, okay? <laughs> she came to me and she said... <laughs> It's all a cunning plan, really, but it was just so wonderful. She came to me. I thought she was going to say, "So, can I speak to you?" I thought, "Oh grief! It's the final elbow." But it wasn't. It was, like, mm, mm, and it resulted in us actually going and just praying together and saying, "Lord, if this is for you." Over the years, one of our sons was terribly, terribly backslidden, far from God. Wendy and I were supposed to be going to the States together and and she said, I don't think I'm supposed to come. I said, well, I feel I'm meant to fight for him. I'm going to fight for Simon. And she stayed behind and gave herself to some days of prayer and fasting and fought for him. And one day he said to her, I thought you were going with Dad. Yeah, I was. Why haven't you gone? I'm fighting for you. And he said, I think you might be winning. (laughs) And that was the beginning of a wonderful, wonderful turnaround. There are seasons, dear friends, when something becomes so important, so focused, so I must get the answer to this. And God allows things like that to build up in you. And, and, and when that happens, friends, don't let it go. And when you feel, that I, I, just occasional prayer isn't enough, I've got to focus on this. So right, I'm going to go for it. So there are times when we say, well, I'm, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to have a couple of days of prayer and fasting. I'm going to go after God for this. Praying in all kinds of prayers, it says. Fasting is not a hunger strike. It's not trying to bend God's arm. It's coming to him with real intention. Where faith can grow and focus becomes very clear. And promises like the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much lord i'm after you we need such times at such times you really get to know god so yeah that's another kind of prayer then we also see in the scriptures pray without ceasing now we need to be very careful with this one because it it can be well that's what i do i don't have a special time i pray without ceasing it's like i just keep praying parking spot lord thank you you know i just (laughs) pray all the time i just kind of live a life of prayer that's who I am, you know. Michael Eaton and his little paperback, he's so helpful often, these little paperback commentaries. It's just very pithy. He just says, he says, if we find a way of praying that's not really praying, we shall neglect actual praying. Just be careful that you don't casually say, well, I just come and talk to God all the time. Well, that's great if you really do. But we need seasons when we shut the door and are with our Father in secret. It's a breathtaking invitation. Your father who knows what you need. Wow. You can come to him. I know I've quoted P.T. Forsyth before, but I'm going to again because it's such a wonderful, wonderful quote. P.T. Forsyth says this, theologian of a previous generation, lose the importunity of prayer, lose the real conflict of will and will, Lose the habit of wrestling, the hope of prevailing with God. Make it mere walking with God in friendly talk. And precious as that is. Yet you tend to lose the reality of prayer at last. We need to cultivate being with our Father. That means making some decisions. Building in some strategies. So praying alone, then also praying as a church. We saw how the early church devoted themselves to prayer i love that verse in acts 4 when they meet their their first meeting with hostility you must no longer preach in this name there's these young guys from galilee what do they know about authority here's the sanhedrin the power base of the nation you will no longer preach and they withdraw and they rise above and they say oh sovereign lord It's the most wonderful prayer. They lifted their voices together and prayed, oh despotis, that's the Greek word from which we get our word despot. They really knew who was in charge. They laid hold of God, the prayer of a believing church. Dear friends, as we plant churches, as we gather people, as we go and see people saved and won and added and gathered together, one of the greatest privileges for a pastor or a team of elders is to lead people into believing prayer. That you become a force to be reckoned with in your city. An invisible but awesome force. And as elders, dear friends, you've got to believe that. You've got to know that if I can teach these people to pray and believe and lay hold of God, I am releasing in this town an awesome power. That's gotta be our endeavor, that's gotta be our goal, our objective. If you read Jim Simbola, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, and you read about the prayers of that church in Brooklyn, phenomenal hub of prayer, pulsating prayer at the center of that mighty, effective church, the church at prayer, the church when Peter was taken into prison. They're gonna kill it. They've killed James, they're gonna kill Peter the next day. Instinctively, you don't think, oh, what's no, no, they're running. They're running to the house, they're running to, to Mark's house. The church gathered. They're crying to God continually until what? Well, we know. The gate opens, out comes Peter. It's powerful. A believing praying church is powerful. It's a wonderful privilege. All kinds of prayer. Praying alone. Praying in the church. Praying in twos and threes. It's so sad when you hear that verse quoted because not many people turned up at the prayer meeting and someone says, well, as you said, Lord, if two or three gather. <laughs> so sad. I tell you what, one of my favorite ways of praying is with two or three. I love it. It's just wonderful. Sometimes, oh, we won't pray for long, only two or three turned up. Huh? One of the elders in our church comes to my home every week. He gets to my, we pray through the hour. Wow, the hour went. Just the two of us crying to God. Got a young guy staying with us, Johann Philip, whenever we can. Can we get an hour together? Yes, pray. Oh, God. The praying with another guy whose heart is one with yours. With two or three. What a privilege is this? I was at Arnold Bell at Bible College. We started praying together, the two of us. God, Come. Touch this college. Fill people with the Spirit. To pray with someone of like heart with you. Wow! It's one of the most wonderful ways of praying. In a prayer meeting, you have to wait ages before you can get in again. (laughs) Unless you pray in everybody else's prayer. Which is what we have to do, isn't it? They pray, you agree. You get into their prayer with them. But to pray two or three of you, oh, that's wonderful. You get stimulated by what's touching them. You, the spirit is dancing among two or three praying. There's terrific promises to two or three who gather. we we'll agree together. Terrific power. It's not only two or three. Hallelujah, it's only two or three. And that's a promise to husband and wife teams. I love praying with Wendy. It's a great adventure over the years. Come on, let's seek God together. Let's go after God. In twos and threes, in church, alone. I had a letter this last week from Jonathan Oliedi, if that's how you pronounce his name. Great black pastor in London. He's working, having I think been to Millwall and West Ham. And now September, I think next year, he's after 80,000 at Wembley for the day. A day of prayer for 80,000 people. Only God knows what our indebtedness will be to the praying black churches of this country in the long term. Let's get 80,000 at Wembley, he said. All kinds of prayer in all kinds of ways. That's what it's saying here. Praying with all kinds of prayer on all kinds of occasion. Now it's so important, just quickly to say this. We are a grace people. We don't pray to impress. We don't pray... Do I get a brownie point for that, Lord? We're complete in him before we start and when we finish. We didn't add anything. We didn't impress. We're trying to accomplish something. It's not for our acceptance. Oh, I prayed a lot, Lord. That's not where we're going. That's not the point. Just have to have to divide those two things. No, no, no. We're righteous as a gift. Hallelujah. We celebrate. We sing the great songs we sing. It's all free. But we also learn. I want to pray, get hold of this wonderful weapon of knowing God, proving God. Constant, then, and diverse prayer. Secondly, empowered prayer. Praying, he says, at all times in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Well, the whole Christian life should be in the Spirit. Once we've been plunged into the Spirit, the Spirit's fallen upon us. It's the Holy Spirit who has enriched our life. It's the love of God. It's poured out in my heart. By the Holy Spirit who's been given to me. It makes all that I've just done, I put my faith in him, the Spirit coming upon me. Wow, he's the one who makes it real. The love of God's poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. In other words, it's not eating and drinking, that's kosher, that's not, you're allowed to eat that. You're not, it's not eating and drinking, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, here's a wonderful promise from the New Testament. If you will walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. What a promise. By the flesh, the flesh. Hey, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill it. That's a promise from God. You will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Because why? Because you're in the Spirit. That's a promise from God. So we're meant to live our whole lives in the Spirit. Now, so pray in the Spirit is part of this life that is engaged with the Holy Spirit. It's not just a strange moment, foreign to everything else. We live in the Spirit, so we pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Arthur Wallace said, any claim to a baptism with the Spirit, which leaves our prayer life unaffected, must be, at best, a superficial work. A baptism in the Spirit will open you up to praying in the Spirit. Praying that's energized outside of yourself. It's not, therefore not formal. It's not reading a prayer. It's not necessarily going through a list. This is my prayer list for Monday, my prayer list for Tuesday. We're talking about something that is catching up another energy. Praying in the Spirit. Not praying alone. I'm not merely going through the prayer wheel. But something supernatural is taking place. Praying in the Spirit. Now, many of us would say, "Well, I don't know how to pray." Well, that's what the Bible says. We get turned off prayer. We find prayer difficult. We we don't know what to say. And we begin to, well, "I'll pray." Well, I, I don't know what to say. We lose concentration. We, we're trying to pray, and your brain goes off out the window. I thought I was praying. Oh, I lost it again. And God seems distant. People say, "Well, I pray; it seems to hit the ceiling." I find it hard because, well, how, I don't—I can't make real. I lose faith. It's difficult to, to assess what was accomplished. I spent half an hour. Well, I mean, how do you measure what was accomplished? Other things I do, I can measure the result. I can see results. It's pragmatic. Prayer is so mystical. I mean, I don't know what to say. Is God listening? It hits the ceiling. Uh, we struggle with prayer. How do we evaluate it? How do I know God's will? Oh, God, do all these things if it's your will. And what's the point of that? And we kind of hit and miss stuff that doesn't do us a lot of joy. And we struggle with condemnation even while we're praying. Oh, I'm so useless at this. And the enemy's hitting you. Prayer is tough, prayer is difficult. We can feel like giving up. Now, it's wonderful that. The Bible says we don't know how to pray as we should. Isn't it good news? The Bible says that. See, we read in, in Romans 8, let me just read to you a very famous passage, very important, helpful passage. Romans 8, verse 23, it says, The whole creation is groaning. In childbirth, we're waiting, we, we talked about this briefly yesterday, about the helmet of salvation, that salvation is nearer than it when, when we first believed, we're not there yet, but dawn is breaking, the night's nearly gone, day's still on the horizon, we're nearer than we used to be, but we're not there yet. And the whole creation's groaning, waiting, waiting for what? A full manifestation of the sons of God. When that happens, the whole creation will burst into newness creation's future is wrapped up in the full manifestation of the church we're locked together meanwhile we're waiting we're waiting for this to happen It hasn't happened yet and so we're in this interim period romans 8 23 says not only this we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly For our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for this new body, the whole salvation. In hope, we've been saved. Hope that's seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he's already seen? But if we hope for it, for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait for it. So he's saying, effectively, we're in the now, but not yet. As it says in John, perhaps the most clearly, even now we're the sons of God, but it's not yet appeared what we shall be. We're living in the overlap of the ages. We've been born again, but the whole creation hasn't been made new. We're overlapping. New world started in us but the time when God says, no, I make all things new. We're living in an overlap. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now here's a very, very wonderful thing. We say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. And we can tend to think that's your problem. It's unique to you, I don't know how to do it. No, 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 what Paul is saying is none of us know. Why? Well, we're in this overlap period. I am a child of God, but walking down the street I look like anybody else. I've started eternal life. I don't look like that. I'm a child of God. It doesn't appear. And I'm living in this season of, well, we're there, but we're not there. And and so, of course, I don't know how to pray as I ought. Of course, it sometimes seems to hit the ceiling. It's not like, oh, it's only me. No, it's all of us. We don't know how to do it. We feel our limitations. We're in a season of limitation. So, Paul says, the Spirit comes to us in our limitations because we don't know how to pray. So, the Spirit comes to our aid It's in fellowship with the Spirit that we learn to break through into the new. We have a foretaste of our inheritance. Heaven begins to touch earth. Heaven breaks in upon us. And in our not knowing how to pray, we suddenly find, hey, I I feel I can pray. I feel I'm being drawn into something. I feel I'm getting drawn out of my inability into his ability. I'm feeling, I feel a new energy. And so as the Puritans used to say, pray yourself into prayer. Pray yourself into prayer, because the Spirit has come. We have heaven touching earth in our spirit. We have a spirit of adoption, crying, Abba, Father. Yeah, we just look like anyone else walking down the street, but there's something inside me that cries out, Father, Abba. It's real. God has invaded my life. Now, learn to pray in the Spirit. Learn to engage with this aspect of heaven that's invaded you. But he doesn't teach you by saying, here's a textbook on prayer. He teaches you by coming into you and praying in you. He doesn't instruct you how it happens. He comes alongside, he comes into you. So you find yourself praying in ways that you wouldn't have prayed. Jesus announced the provision of a helper. He will come to you. You come alongside, parakletos, Paracallio, call alongside. He's coming to help you. He's going to come and invade your life. Suddenly you're taken out of yourself. You know an exchange is taking place inside you. Words start pouring out of you that you know don't have their origins in you. So when we begin to pray, sometimes it can feel very kind of pedantic and empty. And oh, How boring I sound. God, you must be so bored with this stuff. I often pray, Lord, you must find this so boring. But as you're praying, as you're praying, you suddenly find something kicks in. You find another energy. What Paul talks about, we pray with all the energy that he mightily inspires within us. We begin to engage with the Spirit. That's why Arthur Wallace said anyone who claims a baptism in the Spirit that has not affected their prayer life, then we're praying in the Spirit. There's an energy. And praying with twos and threes, others who are also filled with the Spirit, a supernatural thing starts happening, a faith level, an excitement of one to the other, a charismatic thing happening amongst us. And when you've got a whole church that knows how to pray in the Spirit. Oh, beloved, what's the point of being charismatics because we know how to fall down and say a few things in tongues? God wants to energize us in prayer. It's something we need to learn. We learn as we go. The Spirit will lead us into it. He will teach us to pray. He will, and you'll find yourself saying things. You say, well, I know that didn't come from me. Or you feel, I don't even care that much about that. You feel almost like you're looking on. Think, Where did that come from? And I find that gives me faith because I think that doesn't have its origins in me. It must be that God's, in, God's on this. God's into this. God wants this. So it stirs faith as well. So your praying begins to grow. You grow, you grow, you grow. As you pray. Praying in the Spirit. God moving in us. So the blood of Jesus gives us access, but the Holy Spirit is by one Spirit we have access. It's almost like coming to the party, presenting your card, I am allowed in. I've got my right of entrance by the blood I have access and it's as you come in it's like somebody is looking out for you and comes out to you oh hello please come right on in the blood of Jesus gives me right of access the spirit gives me actual awareness by one spirit I come to the father Abba father the spirit saying father I'm fellowship I can feel it in my heart That's why true charismatic worship is awesome. I don't just mean singing songs with good melodies and good rhythm. I mean people engaging with the Spirit together. Most wonderful, the temple of the Holy Spirit. God engaging with us, us engaging with him. He doesn't explain how he does it in us. Sometimes prayer meetings have been turn-offs. You can read the story of Charles Finney. Before Charles Finney was saved, he, he was sometimes around church and he was at a prayer meeting and people said, would you like me to pray for you? He said, I don't think you should bother. He said, I cannot detect any kind of thing happening here. He couldn't detect any faith. He said, no, I wouldn't bother to pray. God wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not the cop-out and say, I say all this if it's your will. No, we know there is a reverence, an appropriate reverence to God that honors, yeah, your will. But there's a lazy cop-out, which means I never press in. I say, well, if it's your will. It's like, what that just made all that prayer pointless. No, there's a reverence, a respect, a fear of God. But if that cuts the nerve of prayer, we've misunderstood that verse. God wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will. God wants us to live with verses like, this is the confidence we have. If we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have the petition that we ask of him. That's why it's so good, dear friends, to read... Christian biography. Read about great men and women of the past who learn these lessons, who press through, obtain promises. If New Frontiers is going to press on, dear friends, if we're going to march out to all the nations, there's got to be this laying hold of God. It's got to come, it's got to be part of who we are. He chose us. He said, You didn't choose me. I often have this conversation with God. I know I didn't choose you. I, I would have chosen sin. I would have chosen evil. I would have chosen trash. You must have chosen me. I can't find any other that You must have chosen me. He chose us. For what purpose? That you might bear fruit. Whatever you ask the Father in my name. So I say, God, I am an appointed. I'm a God-appointed asker. I'm here by royal appointment to ask. I know you want to hear me. He that comes to God must believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's learn to pray and teach those in our churches to pray. Praying in the Spirit. Then there's also, we haven't really time, we time rushing by, praying with the Spirit. Paul says in Corinthians, he said, I will pray with the mind. I will also pray with the Spirit. I pray with the understanding. I will also pray with the Spirit. There he's talking about praying in tongues. He says, when I speak in tongues, my spirit is praying, but my mind is unfruitful. There are times when we pray, and we pray in tongues, praying with the Spirit. I would say that comes under the whole umbrella of in the Spirit, but it's quite specifically not with the understanding. So there are times when we, we, we slip into speaking in tongues in prayer. I find I go in and out of praying in tongues when I'm praying. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Sometimes I slip into tongues and pray and pray. I find sometimes it's hard to express faith when I'm praying in tongues. I don't know what I'm praying. So I, I kind of go in and out all the time. Paul says, I pray in tongues more than all of you Corinthians. He said, I don't pray so much in tongues in the meeting, but alone I pray in tongues more than all of you, Corinthians. So praying in tongues is perfectly valid and appropriate and extraordinarily uplifting. And the sense of God's presence with you, singing in tongues, engaging with the Spirit, praying with the Spirit. I think that Gordon Fee makes a very good case for Romans 8 referring to praying in tongues. We haven't got time to go there now, but he says it's it's like oh well we won't go there. We haven't time to go there. <laughs> so we've said we've done two headings, and our time's running away. First of all, praying, constant and diverse prayer. Secondly, praying empowered prayer. It's an invitation to us, dear friends. Is, the Spirit helps us because we don't know how to. This is not some great achievement of the super saints. It's an awareness. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to express my... It's for dummies like us. It's prayer for dummies. We're in the overlap. Lord, I don't feel... The Spirit comes to help us. It's for all of us. He wants to help you. Give him opportunity. Give him moment. Give him time. Let him teach you to pray in the Spirit. Finally then, focused... Focused prayer, praying on my behalf. He says, "Pray for all men." I want to particularly engage at this last section. Praying on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Paul and the churches are very much in a prayer fellowship, a prayer relationship. They didn't have mobiles, didn't have telephones. They're often uh, separated. And Paul says in such verses as Philippians 1, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you all, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now I'm praying for you he planted the church of Philippi he says I'm always praying for you and I, I remember your partnership we'll come back to that please notice that word I know it's sometimes translated fellowship fellowship koinonia means partnership Peter and his brothers were in a partnership a fishing partnership it means they jointly owned the fleet fellowship can mean cups of tea after meetings koinonia means partnership that's what the word in the Bible means we're in this together It's very important on what I want to develop here. I thank God. I always remember you. I'm so grateful. I remember you with joy for our partnership. I'm praying for you because we're in partnership. 1 Thessalonians 1. We always thank God for you all. Mentioning you in our prayers. Continually remembering you before our God. So Paul is not an independent. He's not rootless. If I may say he's not para-church. He's rooted in churches he believes in the local church his apostolic ministry is rooted back in the local church, he prays for them he's joined to them in prayer he continually prays, he thanks God for their partnership and then he asks for their prayer so he regularly asks for prayer he invites the churches to pray for him and especially for his apostolic ministry so romans 15:30 i urge you brothers by our lord jesus christ and by the love of the spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to god for me Now he's going to engage with this church in Rome. He's hoping that they'll send him on his way to Spain. He's hoping to engage with them. They're not really in his sphere yet, but he's approaching them. He said, I want you to join with me in my struggle. I want you to feel the weight of my apostolic involvement with you. I want you to engage with me in it, and I want to go on to Spain. Backed up by this relationship we're going to come into. Corinthians, he says, 2 Corinthians 1, you also joining in helping us through your prayers. You're helping us. We're going, you, church at Corinth, you're helping us with apostolic breakthrough. Philippians 1, 19, I know that through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I shall be delivered. He's in prison. He's about to be brought forward for judgment. I know through your prayers... And the supplier of the Spirit. I shall be vindicated. Your prayers. Again Colossians. Pray for us. That God may open a door for us. For the message. That we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. For which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. As I should. So it's almost there. Identical almost to the Ephesian passage. That we're looking at. Pray on my behalf. That utterance may be given to me. In the opening of my mouth. To make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Paul is asking the churches to be very involved with his apostolic work. We believe in apostolic ministry. We need to see how it works in the church. Churches are prayerfully involved. Caught up in. Associated with Paul. In partnership in prayer with him feeling involved, but sometimes sending of their elders, like Epaphras Colossi. he says, Epaphras, one of you, he's laboring for you. But I thought he was away from us. No, he's praying for you. He's laboring. That's the word Paul uses. He's, la- he's working for you, but he's away. He's praying for you. He's working for you. He's with me at the moment, because while well, you as a church are caught up with me on my apostolic adventure, my breaking through ministry, Beloved, as we press on, as we go on into transition, it's vital that churches are not just on a list, but caught up in apostolic advance. Engaged in it, feel identification with it. That's what Paul depended on. He said, I I need, I've got a mystery to proclaim. I've got a crazy message. It needs supernatural revelation. The world calls it stupid, foolishness. How can you follow a crucified man? You know, the cross in our modern generations, full of sentiment, full of religious significance. In those days, there was no sentiment, no religious significance. It's shame, disaster, death. His message is foolishness.: I need prayer, because I've got to proclaim a mystery. I've got to proclaim an offensive message. I've got to proclaim something that is a scandal to the natural mind. I need prayer because this is a supernatural advance and if we as apostolic breakthrough people are not helped by the urge and the push of prayer, we will revert to moralism, a bit of religion, bit of therapy because we've got a message that is incomprehensible apart from God coming. Paul says, I want to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh that's incredible god was manifest when we were in israel just a few weeks ago to be honest a couple of months ago it occurred to me in a way it never had before as we're walking down the crowded streets and you've got to bump into a person you think i thought to myself that's what it was like for jesus it's a man there's a guy walking down the street that's god Somehow in my mind, I hadn't quite seen it like that. It just came alive to me. I thought, Jesus walked around here. He was a man. This great is the mystery. God, No wonder it's difficult to comprehend. It's an extraordinary thing that Thomas knelt down before a man and said, My Lord and my God. To a man. With hands and feet like him, standing about the same height. My God, that's incredible. Great is the mystery God without him was nothing made that is made became flesh it's breathtaking sometimes because we're not sufficiently fascinated by the wonder of the incarnation we get fascinated with other little things oh did you see what happened over there he fell over, he shook somebody said, have you seen that someone else said, I haven't got over the resurrection yet we get fascinated with little things Because we haven't been blown away by the mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The great mysteries of the gospel. Previously hidden, now revealed. Christ in you, we've just been singing. This great mystery, Christ in you. The hope of glory. So many of us are just trying to live moral lives, trying to imitate heroes of the Bible even imitate Jesus, imitation of Christ. No, 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 we're talking about an amazing supernatural thing, a mystery. It needs, I need faith, I need to have inspiration. When I preach it, people see it, Christ in me. And then there's other mystery. The Gentiles are co-heirs with the Jews, fellow partakers of Christ. This great mystery, oh, Breaking through, years of expectation. No, no, we're we're co-heirs. Fellow partakers of the inheritance in the Messiah. We Gentiles, we far off, ignorant, not even looking for a Messiah. We are now fellow heirs. It's a great mystery. It's been revealed to the apostles. Paul said, I need your prayers. This is getting me into all kinds of trouble. I'm in prison, I'm in difficulty. Because I'm saying, no, no, we're all in now. Then he's going to talk about Marriage. Husband and wife, they're going to become one flesh. It's Christ in the church. It's a great mystery. Paul says, I need your prayers because I'm going to preach something mind-blowingly different to any other religion. Let them go and wash in the Ganges. Let them make their trips to Mecca. Let them say the hundreds of our fathers, we are saying something totally different. God has invaded our lives and transformed everything. And Paul says, I need your prayers for this. I need your involvement. I need your backing. As we break into new territory. As we take the message of grace. As we we say, we're going into Japan and we've translated the book on grace. And we're planting a church and we're making an invasion. Pray. Because it's revolutionary different. The possibility of it being translated into Polish at the moment. We're wrestling with. It's revolutionary different. Translated into Spanish. We're breaking through with... A revolutionary gospel. We need the spirit to break doors open into nation after nation after nation. As we look into Western Europe and as we hear of people going. And on that wonderful video that came out among the churches. We heard 15 million at Istanbul. I was so moved by that video. As I saw, you know, we're going. We're there now. New frontiers, you are here. Istanbul. I thought, oh. As Dave put to us so well yesterday about the scattering and the apostolic involvement. Going into place after place after place. We need to get caught up. And as we go through this transition, we need, oh God, help us to get our church fully identified. Not just on the list. See, as it's grown, as we've grown as we call it, one sphere. One sphere, it's got bigger and bigger and bigger. Where am I supposed to be involved? It's a bit difficult to be involved in everything. Am I supposed to pray for Mexico or Russia? Or am I praying we get into Japan or Istanbul? We somehow need, Lord, Lord, Lord raise up team, 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 team so that we as a church, I want to get fully identified. I want to be in partnership. I want to feel that. We're praying for the breakthrough. We're owning it as a local church, not only evangelizing our city, prayerfully, Going over all kinds of boundaries. We're with you in it. We're in partnership with you in it. That was the feel of New Testament apostolic ministry. The breakthrough of apostles with churches engaged with them in believing prayer. Apostles need praying churches behind them, owning them, in partnership with them, propelling them forward out of hindrances into new territory. That's what we mean. We, we, we're a bit different. We talk about apostolic ministry. When I was in the States last, Brian Mowry sat down with me and we did some interviewing, which will come out soon on the USA New Frontiers website. And he asked me an interesting question. He said, uh, Do you see uh, what you're doing as uh, What's the difference between a missional network and an apostolic sphere? I thought, a fascinating question. I've, been, I've never been asked that before. He asked me lots of interesting questions. I thought, yeah, that's fascinating. A missional network or an apostolic sphere? Well, network, is kind of as long as a piece of string, isn't it, network? People go and join golf clubs so they can network a bit for business. Networking's a popular modern word, means what you want it to mean. It can be a little bit nebulous, a network. I don't network with my sons and daughter. It's not a family word. Missional, yeah, let's be evangelistic. Let's see that churches are very evangelistic. I've recommended up on this platform, Ed Stetson's great book, Planting Missional Churches. Terrific load of things for us to learn from there. But a missional network, is that what we are? I hope not. I think an apostolic sphere is quite different. An apostolic sphere has to do with relationships like we've just read. Paul saying, you're on my heart ever since I was with you. You're in my prayers. I hope you're in partnership with me as we break through. We're in this together, we're engaged together on apostolic mission. We feel ourselves to be in partnership. The word family drifts into our vocabulary because it kind of feels family. Brothers, sisters, dear friends. Paul says, I want to come to you that I might be refreshed with you. That's the language of Scripture. All kinds of lists of names at the ends of epistles. Writing about the Corinthians, or to the Corinthians about the Macedonians, he said, They first gave themselves to the Lord and to us. That's apostolic ministry. It's not a missional network. They first gave themselves to the Lord and to They gave themselves to us. There's something very relational. Reflecting, I believe, right back into Trinitarian concepts. Uh, relational factor extending God's family across the earth they gave themselves to us Paul had already given himself to them he'd been to Philippi, he'd been beaten, he'd been put in prison they gave themselves to us they begged for the opportunity to participate in the offering for the poor in Jerusalem they were integrated we're in, we're in it's like David built his great army. Great soldiers came over to David, and it says the Spirit came upon them, and they said, We are yours, O oh David. It's not kind of networking, it's much more meaningful. It's saying, I feel under God, I give myself. It's the sort of thing you want as elders when people come to your church, really. It's not what we come here on Sunday mornings, listen, sing. No, what you want, isn't it, is people say we're in. My feet are inside your gates. You can count on me. I'm, I'm, I'm within your fold, shepherds. You've got your care of me, I hope. I honor you as God's shepherds. As we heard from Steve this afternoon. Elders with dignity caring for the flock. We're talking about something relational. It's somewhat unique we're beginning to meet other people who are working in this similar way even lately groups from around the world apostolic spheres and as we move on we've got to believe for fresh apostolic spheres over the time we said last year and we mustn't prolong this now it's been under kind of one umbrella while that's been happening under that umbrella other spheres growing Great spheres, greatly gifted guys who have in their ranks, they know. People who love them have said, we're yours. We're yours, Edward. We're yours, John. We're yours. We're with you. We want to build that way. Caught up. Excited about the mission. Tonight we get to pray. Tonight we'll have guys on this platform. I don't look at the list. I haven't seen what's happening. But we've had people up here, haven't we, over the years. North, south, east, west, they come up, sometimes pray in their different language. You think, well, I know someone's working with them, I don't know who they all are. What it mustn't do is become nebulous. You know, ownership, ownership, ownership. Relationship. That we grow with the sphere. The sphere grows and grows again. Like that wonderful prophetic word that came from Sand during the meeting, it's going out and out. Same heartbeat, same heartbeat. Growing like a tree. Heartbeat, heartbeat. Old, young, going together. Growing out. Partnership into regions beyond. Extending the family. Do you feel yourself caught up in it? So important, dear friends, we don't just feel caught up in it here once a year but that you as a church feel caught up. As we observe and watch for emerging apostolic ministries more and more with more intimacy, we own that. We believe for. We're going into Belfast, Dublin, Istanbul, Paris, Berlin. Nations further and further afield, Rio de Janeiro. Guys, owning that, we're in this with you. We pray for you, we're praying for you for a door of opportunity. We're praying for contacts, we're praying a foundation will be laid. Tonight we'll be enjoying aspects of that together through Celebrate. One of the great features of our conference together has always been this opportunity to pray, to see, to hear, to join in, to own to give say we're part of this thing dear brothers and sisters we're on a mission we're not just consolidating again we had that mighty word for the leaders this afternoon from Steve we're not in a phase of consolidation it's a time for advance advance as we've looked at this Ephesians 6 passage let me encourage you it's a transition word be strong Be strong because of all the battles that will be ahead. Be strong, not in yourself. Be strengthened with all his great power within you. Take the whole armor. Put on the armor of God. Don't be careless. Get to know doctrine. It's not an ugly word. Get to know truth. Let our songs be full of truth. Worship leaders, don't sing too many diddle, diddle, ditties. Sing songs that fill the saints with truth. We don't need half an hour of little emotional songs. We need to be trained in truth. To build a framework of truth. So that you think biblically. Put the armor on. Praying at all times. I want to encourage you. Ponder, what is my prayer life like? Not to put condemnation on you. You know that. But let's not make cheap grace that says, well, we don't need that because we're in grace. We don't need it to be righteous. It's gift. Or want encourage you. You show me a great man or woman of God in the Bible or in church history that we're not also a woman or a man of prayer. Let's pray. Let's raise up praying churches. Let's learn to pray. Don't be content to mark time. Learn to pray. Get in, two, get in twos and threes. Where I've been in prayer meetings with twos and threes. Sometimes I've, I honestly, I was scared to open my eyes at the end. Because of the sense of God's presence. That was only two. No, no. That's a great opportunity. Let's pray. Let's engage with the spirit. We don't know how to pray. We know some, sometimes we're so dull the spirit will help us learn to engage with him. Praying in all sorts of ways. And praying. God has given us a privilege of biblical focus. We can get behind apostolic advance. Biblical apostolic advance. Church planting with relationship. Not just a network. A family. An ongoing work of God. Let's pray. Perhaps the band could come up just so we... Pray. Father, thank you so much that you have called us to a wonderful adventure. We thank you for this drumbeat that we heard about. We thank you, Lord, for Lord Jesus, you, you wonderful seed that fell into the ground. You seed that when the Greeks said, we, we would see Jesus, we'll make him internationally famous. We thank you, Lord Jesus, you are so clear a seed must fall in the ground and die or it abides alone. But if it dies, we thank you, we are raised together with you. We thank you, your heartbeat, we feel it. We thank you for little children that can learn the song. We thank you, even here, we mingle. People have led churches for a long time. Some quite new Christians immobilise. Thank you. We mingle here together as the family of God. Caught up with the same drumbeat. Caught up with your great plan. Holy Spirit, I do ask you, please, please. I want lasting fruit. I pray, Father, for your word. I thank you. You said you didn't choose me. I chose you. I point you to go and bring forth fruit. Whatever you ask, I'm asking, Father for lasting fruit, because we've given time to these words together. I pray for fruit in hundreds of lives to your great praise. I pray for hundreds of lives. I pray for hundreds of churches. I pray for life to break out because we've given attention to your word and depended on your spirit. We trust you for it, Lord, for great fruitfulness to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.